Good evening, Airmen of Troy, and welcome to another episode of Sound Off Leadership Lessons with the AOT. Our mission here is to inspire and develop future leaders of the Air Force and beyond. I'm Cadet Classy McKella. And I'm Cadet Wynn. And today's guest is Captain Maddie Smith. Hello, welcome. Thank you for having me, ladies. It's awesome to be here. Of course, we're glad that you came on today. First, we're just going to start off with a brief background. Can you tell us where you're from? Yeah, so I'm originally from Southern California, predominantly like the North Orange County area, so not too far from USC. But most people who I went to college with know that I uh, actually spent about 12 years in the UK. So my parents decided to move over to to London, to the United Kingdom when I was about six years old. And I lived there from six to 18 and actually didn't come back to California until college when I went to USC. So kind of a bit of a mixed background. Uh, I claim California, but it wouldn't be fair to say that since my uh, formative years were in the UK. Wow, that's amazing. Do you miss the UK at all? I do, but my sis- two of my sisters still live there. So um, I get to go back and visit and I'm actually uh, here in Germany right now. So I'm kind of doing a, a little bit of a Europe tour to, to get back to those roots. So it's, it's nice to be back in Europe and to see my family who are still there, but I still claim California as home. Wow, that's great. I'm glad that you came back to California, especially at USC. That's awesome. We love USC here. So what led you to join ROTC and specifically at our detachment at 60? Yeah, well, it actually, it's a pretty funny story because obviously being in the UK, no one really talks about the US Air Force too much and definitely a different relationship with um, people joining the military um, in the UK, kind of a different, a different vibe than what's in the US. And I was applying to college in 2008. I was a freshman class in 2009. And that was right when the economy crashed. And so everyone, oh, you're never going to be able to find a job. And it's going to be, the, the economy is going to take years to recover. Um, and so that was kind of the vibe when everyone's applying to college. Well, hopefully it'll be okay in four years time. And my dad said to me in passing, oh, well, you should try and do the Air Force. And I was like, no way. Like, I am not doing that. That You're crazy. Don't come from a military family. Um, my uncle, so my dad's brother was uh retired as a Lieutenant Colonel in the Marines. And that's pretty much it. I had a cousin who entered into the Marines as well, but he's the same age as me. So um, that hadn't happened yet. Uh, So no military background. I really knew nothing about it. My dad said, you know, you should apply. And I, "Mm, no, I'm not going to do that. Dad, thanks, but no thanks. But it piqued an interest. So I looked into it, like just Googled it, I guess, looked it up online. I, I don't even really remember. And at the time I wanted to go to law school. Oh, I'm like, oh, you can do, um, you can be a lawyer and be in the Air Force. Oh, that's cool. Okay. So if I apply for this, then maybe I can get a scholarship. They'll pay for me to go to school and then I get to be a lawyer and it's all the same. So I should, I should look into that. And I was fortunate enough. um, I applied kind of on a whim. I honestly don't even remember doing it. Got a scholarship. So I got a type two scholarship uh, as I was studying political science and I accepted it. And I, I always tell people, I said, I just never quit. And the rest is history. Now uh, I've been in for seven years now, which I never would have imagined. So kind of a funny story. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I'm kind of in a similar boat. I didn't have anyone pushing me to join the military or an RTC, but when I was looking at colleges and military had always kind of been in the back of my mind, I saw that there was a scholarship for it and I figured I need money to help pay for college took the opportunity and here we are over a year later and it's honestly been a great experience. So I can't even imagine what it's going to be like in person. There's really no shame in it, right? You know, the, the air force will bring in people from all over the place for totally different reasons. But at the end of the day, 
you all end up, you know, once you commission, you all got there. So it doesn't really matter how or why you started, um, but you finished. And now you guys, you know, end up being officers in the U.S. Air Force. And, you know, I tell a lot of people it was the best decision my 18 year old self made. I mean, I really had no idea how good of a decision it was until like looking back years later. So like while you were at that 16, were you involved in any extracurriculars either within ROTC or just within college, within the university? Yeah, so I was actually in a sorority. So I was in um, Alpha Delta Pi. Actually, our sorority, there were three of us who were in, who were in ROTC. Um, another girl who was in Air Force ROTC and then another one who is Navy. We were the only sorority that had, I think at the time, that had ROTC cadets because it's not that it was somewhat unusual, but it was kind of a lot to belong to kind of two very distinct organizations um, that took up a lot of time. And I was involved in that. So I was involved on the Panhellenic Council. But then in ROTC, I I ended up doing Arnold Air. So I did that for, I don't know, do you do it for a couple of years? I can't even remember now. But right before I went to field training, I ended up doing Arnold Air. And I, a couple times did Honor Guard. So I think you guys heard from Captain Zimmerman in one of the previous episodes and, you know, we were all friends. So we all kind of ended up doing the same type of extracurriculars. I do honor guard every now and again with him. And then also did the SoCal field day that he talked about. That's awesome. Yeah. Hopefully they, hopefully football starts up again and you guys get the opportunity to do that. That sounds lovely. I'll definitely look into that when we get back there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. um, Now we're going to transition into the RTC life part of the segment. So how did RTC prepare you for your career? You know, I actually have been thinking about this quite a bit, Um, you know, when new lieutenants come in and like, oh, what would you have wanted to know? And so thinking about, oh, what would I wanted to know in ROTC? I think the biggest thing is that all the career fields are so different. So it's going to be near impossible for ROTC to set you up specifically for the career that you're going to enter in. But the greatest thing that was really fostered while I was there was the idea of like teamwork and camaraderie. That's pretty unique to the Air Force and to the military. When you're working in an organization, especially if you're in the private sector, um, it's not necessarily this idea that you guys are all family and you're all there for each other. But when you move around so much and you're in these very small and sometimes isolated communities, especially if you're living abroad or a base out in the middle of nowhere, the Air Force kind of becomes your family. And we were fortunate enough to have some pretty incredible ROTC instructors at the time. And they did a lot of work to kind of foster that mindset of that. We're here for each other, take care of each other. Um, You guys are a family and, and that camaraderie and teamwork. And I think that's been a really unique culture to experience in the Air Force. And I'm really glad that that was something that our instructors at the time really kind of pushed on us. I think that really helped me kind of immerse myself into the Air Force culture, especially because I had never really been exposed to it, not being a military brat or anything like that. Did you have any specific ROTC experiences where you took lessons that you could apply to your life in operational Air Force? Hmm. Ooh, that's a good question. That's a tough one. You know, I can't really think of a specific scenario, but in general, like I do remember that our instructors put a lot of like responsibility on us. And I think early on, they kind of taught us about accountability as well as responsibility for your actions. So I just remember if we had something like a job to do, we had an event to schedule. I think uh, Captain Zimmerman talked about like SoCal Field Day. That was our event to own. Um, I remember I also planned the awards banquet. And, you know, looking back, that's kind of a, that's a big event 
to schedule. You know, it's for the entire detachment. We were doing it at, I think one of the hotels around campus or something like that. And, you know, you're working with a budget, people's families are coming in. It's the day that everyone's going to get recognized and a lot of military tradition. And it was kind of said, okay, here you go. Here's the event. This is the intent. This is what you have to schedule. And Cadet Lay at the time, go and get it done. And we always knew that they were there to help, but really it was that ownership of, Hey, this is what your event is supposed to be. And it's success is how much work you're going to put into it and how organized you want to be. And so taking that responsibility and holding us accountable to those events, even though at the time we were like, you know, 19 years old, 20 years old, trying to balance college. And so it was kind of that trust in us to get it done, but also because of that instilled this sense of responsibility and ownership on that. And, and that's kind of like traveled with me through the Air Force. Uh, hey, like the commander's going to tell you this is his intent. And it really empowered me to say, okay, it's my responsibility to action this and take that initiative and plan it to the best of my ability. Knowing that if I failed, it would be okay, because that's kind of part of the process. Uh, so I, I just remember having a lot of that responsibility while we were at the detachment. Uh, it was really great to have that leadership to empower us to get that done. That's awesome. I can only imagine. You spoke briefly of failure and you knew that it would be okay. I know, at least from personal experience, I've had my failures so far in uh, RTC. It's been hard to adjust to kind of your feelings on that, especially being a new cadet an AS100 and just jumping in and being virtual. So do you have any advice on how to like reflect on your failures or deal with them? Yes, every day. When, you know, I've talked a lot about this. Um, almost every assignment you go to, you're, you're starting fresh. You've got a new people, a new unit, a new mission. And even though you're trained to do your job, you know, I'm a trained to be an intelligence officer. Somebody's trained to be a pilot everywhere you go, you're going to have to reintegrate into, into that unit or into that mission. There has not been uh, an assignment where I haven't had to go through failure or through mistakes. Um, and in ROTC, anyone who knew me, I had my fair share of, of moments. It was really tough at times. I think my advice to you would be don't, don't overthink it. So I think it's really important to be self-aware, like, hey, I messed up, I own that, but don't let that consume you to the point where you can't move forward. So I think every challenge is an opportunity for growth. Don't be afraid of that failure. One of the best things that I have kind of learned a lot through listening to a lot of other leaders, we just had a, a conversation with a chief master sergeant a couple of weeks ago, he was doing professional development and, and he said, don't be afraid to take risks. You need to be able to take risk. That doesn't mean go be reckless, you know, don't just do whatever you want, but understand what role you are given and the responsibility you have, take risk and then communicate what you're doing. Hey, I understand that you want to, me to do X, Y, and Z. I'm going to execute in this way. Not necessarily asking for permission, but saying, hey, I'm going to execute in this way. And then as long as you're communicating what risk you're taking, it's your responsibility to execute that. And if you fail, you fail. Um, and that's part of the communication. That's the important thing up to your boss. Hey, you know, this is what happened. This is what I did. This is why I did it. And sometimes, sometimes you're going to fail, but that's okay because that's where we get creative. That's part of your initiative. If you don't see your mistakes as opportunities to learn from them, then, you know, they didn't have a purpose. And I think all your mistakes will teach you something. And you're not alone too. You know, I, I, sometimes I beat myself up. I shouldn't have said that in a meeting. I shouldn't have done it that way. I should have given feedback in a better way. Ultimately that's part of your growth. Even, you know, every week, I think I tell myself that 
I should have done something a little bit different. But part of it also is that that's what makes you you. And you're going to bring a really unique skill set into the Air Force and you're going to have your own flavor of leadership. And that's what makes our Air Force diverse. It's also what makes it pretty awesome, too. Yes, that's definitely something that I'm still learning to do. I tend to beat myself up over mistakes I've made or things that I could have done better. But if another wingman or flight mate messes up, I am always, I'm really quick to reassure them that it's okay. Don't beat yourself up over it. We'll just do better next time. You know, we're always here to grow and to learn from our mistakes. Yeah, no, it's super hard. I mean, it's really easy to look at somebody else and say, no, that's fine. Like, I don't even know why you're worried about it. You know, you'll do it the next week and you're freaking out over it. But you guys are in a training environment and we talk about that a lot in the Air Force. You know, there are times when you're in training mode and then there's times when you're in execution mode. And the reason that we train is so that when we execute, we can do it to the best of our ability. Um, So you guys are in an environment to do that, to learn, to grow from each other and to have some fun. So of course you don't want to mess around and, you know, be absolutely ridiculous, but have fun with it, you know, make, build those relationships with each other and have each other's backs. And you're, you're in an area where you can kind of fail and learn and grow. And that's the whole point of ROTC. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So you talked a little bit about balancing the different aspects of your life. How were you able to do that? Cause I know between ROTC and being in a sorority, it's not easy and they are big time commitments. I think that's like definitely part of the conversation we're having, right? Like sometimes not well, sometimes you misprioritize and you think this one thing is more important than the other. And you end up not really being able to give all your attention to ROTC. There are definitely times where it was really challenging. And it's funny looking back, you know, I don't, I don't remember like super specific events, but I know at the time there were times when I had no idea what to do. I had, you know, my head was underwater, but I think it's really about prioritization. The goal was always to commission and you have to stay disciplined to not let anything really get in the way of that. I mean, to ensure that you can do all the other extracurriculars, but ultimately like I had a obligation to, you know, I was under contract and I had an obligation to ROTC to, to perform and to make sure that I was maintaining my grades. But I think how I got through that was through the, the people around you. So they'd say your wingman. I had another, another cadet, a female cadet who was in ROTC with me and she was also in my sorority. And I don't think I could have done it without her having her there to help balance that in kind of, Hey, this is, she knew exactly what we were going through. And so having that relationship and that friendship was critical. Like that support to each other was, was really important. And I think really that's, that's how we did it, but it was definitely prioritization and time management and some pretty exhausting Fridays. Cause that's when we had lead labs. So. <laughs> Oh, exactly. We know what you're talking about. Yes, definitely. Just this past week, our flight commander, we have to send email responses to them each week. And last week we responded with our top five priorities. And I think that's a good way for us to step back and recognize what we are prioritizing and what we're going to put our time and energy towards. Yeah, no. And that's awesome. That's, that's great that your flight commander is doing that. You've, you've got to prioritize because then that's where you put your weight of effort into it. But also know when you need to take a step back too. There were semesters where I was all in an ROTC and I, I would take a job, but I knew that when I got to my senior year, hey, I know that I'm not going to be able to, to give a lot. And so I'm not going to 
I'm not going to try to be the wing commander. I'm not going to try to do this. I'm going to take a job that I know I can do well. And I think I ended up doing special projects and I loved planning the events. So that was something that was something I enjoyed doing. And so it was a lot easier to commit my time to that than, you know, burning out by doing too much. So I think setting your own boundaries is really important as well. Wow. Actually, that's something I have to definitely do now that we're speaking a bit. Now that I'm thinking, even though there's five weeks left in our semester, you briefly talked about um, RTC relationships and how important they are. Personally, it's hard to do that online. So do you have any advice on how to like reach out to fellow cadets, especially in this type of environment? You know, it's really tough. And the situation that you guys are in is incredibly unique. You know, I, I really can't imagine what that is like. But I think, I think probably an important thing and that I would focus on is to not be afraid to reach out and have pretty honest conversations. I mean, you guys talked about how, oh, it's difficult and you guys might struggle with some of the lessons or uh, some of the activities and, and don't be afraid to share that with your like fellow cadets, you know, kind of be honest with where you guys are at. I think often, sometimes we think that everybody has the same mentality. They're really gung-ho or they're really great at this. And everyone's probably equally going through a lot or equally struggling or having their good days and having their bad days. Don't be afraid to have sometimes those awkward conversations because that's where you're going to get to know each other. And even if it is online and it's a slightly different environment, be open with kind of where you're at. Don't be afraid to reach out and build a little bit better of a connection. Yes, 100%. And I understand that firsthand too. I've been struggling a lot with physical fitness this past year. And when I brought that up during a flight time, one of my flight mates, he reached out like without hesitation the next day and basically offered his help. He said, you know, I know you said you were struggling and I want to help you as much as I can. Uh, what can I do to help? And I am so grateful for that. Yeah, everyone has their strengths and weaknesses and you'd be surprised by um, how people are thinking. Just sometimes people are afraid to, to ask and speak about it. So, you know, don't be afraid to kind of put that out there. And now we're going to take a break. We'll see you guys in a second. Welcome back, listeners. Now we're going to transition into the career portion of our podcast. So Captain Smith, can you tell us or give us a rundown of your Air Force career up till now? Yeah, so I got selected to be an intelligence officer. And so when I graduated in 2013, I had to wait about six, seven months or so before I could enter active duty. That was right around the time when some of the training schools were getting a bit delayed um, and the academy have preference. So I didn't enter active duty until January of 2014. And that's when I went to Goodfellow Air Force Base in San Angelo, Texas, which is where the Intel uh, Intelligence School is for officers. So I, I was there from January to about August of 2014. And then my first duty station was at Langley Air Force Base. Um, and I was there from 2014 to about 2017. At that point, uh, I went to Korea. So I went to South Korea and I was at Osan Air Base. While I was at Langley, I ended up getting married um, to my husband, who's also active duty Air Force officer. Uh, and so we had an accompany tour to Korea and that's why we were there for two years. Then after Korea, I came to Germany. So now I'm on my third assignment here. We got here in the summer of 2019 and we'll be here for at least another year. So I'm at Ramstein Air Base. 
So I've actually spent about five years, I uh, will have spent five years overseas, which really wasn't the point. I was trying to stay in the US and travel around the US since I had lived in the UK for 12 years, but um, here we are. The Air Force will send you on, on an adventure and uh, it's been good fun. Yeah, I love that. So how did you decide that you wanted to pursue a career in intelligence? I guess I didn't really know. So when I, I, I kind of mentioned earlier that I joined the Air Force thinking I was going to go to law school and I was going to go be a JAG. And so that was on my mind for a lot of the time that I was in ROTC. As I started to get closer to putting down my list of jobs that I wanted, I was not very familiar with the Air Force at all. So I knew I didn't want to be a pilot because I get really bad motion sickness. So I for sure was like, I cannot be a pilot. That is just not going to work out for me. So it was really just kind of getting exposure to the different career fields. So we had career day and um, had some people come and talk, but the, but law school was still in my mind. So as I got closer to graduating, I thought, you know, I really don't want to do three more years of school. Just the thought of doing that is kind of daunting. Um, and I wasn't even sure if I was going to be allowed to do it because you have to get an education delay from the Air Force to say, Hey, I'm not going to commission. I'm going to take on three more years. So that is a process in and of itself. I decided to not try for that and apply for it and just go ahead and say, I'll do four years. And if I really want to go back to law school, then I can go ahead and do that um, after I do my four-year commitment. So at that point, it was really just, hey, what jobs do you know? Um, and I didn't know a whole lot about anything. So I ended up putting public affairs. Uh, I found out about this job and I thought that would be really cool. Um, I love talking to people. Um, I love meeting new people. And I kind of liked the idea of that aspect of public affairs, working on a base, um, doing a lot of the, the tours and uh, working with the community, et cetera. But they only accept like two officers the year that I applied across the entire country. So super competitive. Um, that was my number one. Then my number two was force support. And they're the ones who essentially they do a lot of the services that are on base. Um, so it's kind of a very wide career field. But again, I thought, cool, it's kind of doing a lot of the, the services. So again, you're still working as part of that community and you're working a lot with people and organizing events, et cetera. So I thought that was kind of up my alley. And then third was Intel, uh, which is unusual because sometimes when you put it down as third, they're not going to give it to you, right? Because a, a lot of people do actually want intelligence. Well, I just happened to be lucky. And the year that I was applying, I think they were trying to get a lot of Intel officers. And man, am I, great, am I grateful. Intel has been an absolutely awesome career totally unique, amazing travel opportunities, and just a really, really great experience. Uh, so I am, I kind of stumbled upon it. The reason I even put Intel on my list was because I thought, oh, I want to work in the CIA or FBI. If none of this works out, that's what I'm going to do. You know, the classic, seeing the movies, wanted to do that. It's not like in the movies, uh, most of the time, sometimes it can be, just depends. But it is definitely a really, really awesome career field. If you want to be an analyst, if you're an analytical mind, if you're curious uh, and a lot of opportunities to do a ton of different experiences. So it's pretty diverse as well. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So if it's not like the movies, what is a day in your life look like for you? What's the environment like? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good question. Yeah, so it's not like in the movies because um, I get up and <laughs> I put on my uniform, I drive to work and I go into this windowless building, you know, I guess it doesn't always have to be windowless, but most of the time they are, that has all of our classified systems. And I sit at a desk and I work at a computer. <laughs> so um, sometimes you can do some cool stuff with that computer uh, or you're working with uh, current operations. So 
if you're doing, you know, unit support, you might not be at a computer all day, uh, but that's where you're doing a lot of your analysis um, or your research or just like your production. So your analysis and production, and then you might be interacting with air crew. So you might be giving kind of threat briefs to the, to the pilots. If they're getting ready to step for a mission, uh, you might be interacting with different operational um, AFSCs. Uh, so if you're working in the air operations center, maybe you're working with the, the command and control guys, um, helping provide them information about the battle space um, or the environment that you guys are working in. Uh, a lot of the times we are briefing, so we're doing actual presentations to, to different audiences. So although you sit at a computer most of the time, you do uh, work with a lot of different uh, people and provide a lot of information. So it's a lot of communicating, production, and analysis. <laughs> what is one or some unique things about intelligence that you didn't know going in, obviously you didn't know much about this career field going in, um, but you ended up loving now? So it's nothing really like revolutionary or anything, but I guess I never realized how many opportunities there were in the intelligence community. I didn't realize how big the intelligence community really is. Um, almost every Air Force base will have in some capacity uh, an intelligence unit or officer. It's kind of the nature of the job, like where our Air Forces are. You know, we want to have intelligence people there, uh, whether it's an officer or enlisted, um, whether it's a large unit or a small unit. Um, it's just kind of the nature in the same way that you're going to have support services. You're going to also have people who are supporting operations. And that's what that's what Intel does. Um, we're we're supposed to be supporting operations and providing um, information to them. Uh, I've been incredibly grateful for how like vast um, the opportunities are for Intel. But it, it somewhat comes at a cost because then you might go to different bases and you, um, in one job, you're doing a lot of analysis. And then the next job, you're supporting a lot, you're supporting F-16s and you've never done that before. So they say you want to have breadth and not depth. I mean, we kind of debate about that in the, in the Intel officer community, but it is somewhat necessary to, to be able to be adaptable and flexible because your learning curve might be um, pretty steep in depending on the diversity in your assignments. So pros and cons for sure. Yes, ma'am, certainly. So at this point, we're going to turn a little more into just general leadership rather than pertaining specifically to Intel. What do you think has been the most important leadership skill that you've learned during your time in the Air Force? So I think we, we kind of touched upon it um, earlier when we were just saying like taking risks and communicating that risk. I think the airmen that I work with, the ones who really excel and thrive are the ones who can take initiative, the ones who are leaning into whatever um, task that they have been given. We talk a lot about innovation and creativity and problem solving. Um, that's the case for any career field, but really being strong enough to take that initiative, like lean into that task. Don't be afraid to take the risks that might come with taking that initiative, but that has to be followed up with being able to communicate what you're doing to your leadership. Or in the times that you need to make a, a decision quickly, you're not afraid to make that decision because you're taking that initiative. I understand where my left and right boundaries are. So I'm going to make the decision. I've understood where I can make decisions and where I can't make decisions, but don't be afraid to do that. And then once you've made that decision, communicate back up, hey, this is the decision that we made. This is what we've done. So having those effective communication skills, both up to your leadership and then down to your team is incredibly important. 
it's important that people understand why you're making the decision that you're, you're making. Here's what we're going to do. And then it's important to communicate that back up to your leadership as well. I definitely agree. Communication is key, especially we've learned, even as AS100, we've definitely learned that communication is key when we are like rotating positions um, in our flight. I don't know if you remember from your time in our detachment, but GLPs are definitely a thing, especially yeah. in our online environment. I was wondering if you had any advice on those who get selected uh, during the GLP to kind of command and take that leadership role and how to kind of designate positions, uh, GLP. Ooh, that's a great question. I mean, definitely tough in an online environment because part of it is just really kind of working together as a team. But I just did squadron officer school, I think, in the summer of 2019. And we do a lot of, you know, group leadership projects in that too. So a bunch, a bunch of captains there trying to trying to lead a bunch of other captains. And, you know, cliche, but it's really the ability to communicate effectively. So I think First, the important thing to do is make sure that the team understands what you are doing in that project. So you've been given a task, make sure you clearly communicate what that task is so that everyone on the team understands what you guys are trying to achieve. Because if you start off and somebody doesn't understand what the ultimate goal is or the end purpose, then it can just cause a lot of confusion and chaos and you guys might not be um, the same page later. Uh, you, you do need to work quickly because sometimes these, are these things are timed. So it's also understanding of when you, when you need to move on, but really communicate that out to the team. Um, that's your job as the leader. Uh, so I think that's really the first step. And then understand what your team's strengths and weaknesses are. Sometimes the task that you've been given isn't going to fall into your box of strengths. So if you understand kind of where your team is strong and where people are weak, then you can delegate accordingly. Capitalize on the strengths and weaknesses of the people on your team and be decisive in who is supposed to be doing what. Leadership, and I have failed at this many times, doesn't necessarily mean that you're always the one doing. Uh, sometimes the best thing you can do is say, hey, I know that you're really good at this. Can you execute? Do you have a good idea for this? And sometimes it's just actually not doing anything at all and understanding where your team can provide that input. But again, that's making, you know, you're making a decision, you're utilizing your team, your teammates' strengths and weaknesses, which is, that's why you need to know your team so you can make those decisions and then make sure everybody understands what the end goal is so that we can all, everyone can work together to, to reach that goal. That's really interesting. I think that's one of the biggest things that I definitely need to work on because we talked about this a little earlier, but with it being online, it's really hard to make connections and really learn about our flight mates. So definitely taking into account other people's strengths and weaknesses is something that I will keep in mind for the remainder of this semester and definitely into next year. Yeah, definitely. It, I think it's tough to do online. And I think some people are going to be great at working online. Some people aren't. And that's going to be, that'll be part of the process. But then you guys will learn a little bit more uh, when you guys come together in person as well. So to me, that advice, it feels like it's geared a little more towards GMC. What do you have to say for POC who are getting ready to commission either within a few months time or next year, who are getting ready to enter active duty as brand new second lieutenants? Yeah, so I think like the advice applies no matter where you're at in your leadership experience. And that's something that I've kind of learned over time. You're always learning and evolving. You're going to make your own mark as a leader. You're going to have your own kind of leadership philosophy. You're going to, everyone is going to be a different type of leader as well. And so really rooting yourself um, in that. So 
everything I just talked about, understanding your strengths and weaknesses. Sometimes you're not always the one doing, sometimes you're not always the one speaking, but regardless if you're a GMC, a POC, a second lieutenant, a captain, a lieutenant colonel, colonel, whatever, it's about effectively like leading a team, whether that is one person, whether that is multiple people, whether that is a bunch of cadets or whether it's a bunch of lieutenants um, and, you know, and, or the enlisted members that you supervise. And I think that's important for me. That has been important for me to remember. You're constantly growing and learning. That is never going to stop. It's not just something that you do as a lieutenant. Don't necessarily take yourself too seriously. Be open to, to listening and learning from others. That's the best thing you could do as a lieutenant. Just be a sponge. Don't be afraid to ask questions. You're in, you're in learning mode at the time. But recognizing where you need to step up and act don't be afraid to fail, take that risk. But the, the it's really just a matter of like humility too, to understand that you're not always going to be the best person at something. And even if you, you think that you are the best suited for that job, be open to what the people around you can provide. That has been a really great learning lesson for me in all the assignments. Uh, you'll be amazed at what other people can do if you give them a chance and you're patient enough to, to really kind of mobilize a team in that way live and learn and keep moving. Just keep moving. That's all we can do. Yep. <laughs> all right, Captain Smith. So that's all the questions that Cadet Kasi Michaela and I have prepared for you today. To end off our podcast, do you have a funny or memorable story either from ROTC or life as an officer that you'd like to share with us today? You know, I was talking about how I grew up in the UK and so when I started uh, college, I had been in the UK for 12 years and my whole time in the UK, uh, I say, oh my gosh, where are you from? Are you American? You know, I was the standout and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I'm from California, whatever. Then I go to USC and I start ROTC and already I'm so out of my league. Like I have no idea what's going on. People are marching around. I'm like, what is this? You know, I really had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> I thought everything was a suggestion, not like mandatory. It was a rough, rough few um, first couple months. And I was navigating being a freshman in college, uh, living, you know, very far away from home, uh, at least from my parents in the UK. And so with that kind of moving from there, I had a British accent. So you wouldn't believe this now because I have... I, I mean, I think I sound American. I, you, you guys probably don't hear any British in me, but when I was a freshman in ROTC, I had a full on like British accent and it was the weirdest thing ever. When, when you give commands, you know, you're in, and I don't know if you guys have been doing it, but I would do it with a British accent and it was like impossible for anyone to keep a straight face. So one, I stood out like a sore thumb and that was absolutely ridiculous. It was also the summer that I think uh, the movie Forgetting Sarah Marshall came out. So it's like, you sound like you're from London. I was like, yep, nope, thank you, I know. And then people would come up to me and they would say, are you, are you British? I'm like, well, uh, no, I'm, I, I don't think I would say like I'm American, but they'd come up to me like, oh my gosh, like, are you in, you're in ROTC, like Air Force, like US Air Force? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Air Force ROTC. And they're like, you know, you have to be American to be in the Air Force. Like you have to have, you have to be a US citizen. And I would say, what? no way. Like I was an American. Like I was a U.S. citizen. My parents just lived abroad. Oh no, you have to be a citizen. They're like, yeah. I'm like, oh man, I guess I can't do this. And they're like, I'm so sorry to break it to you. I'm like, yes, I know I have to be a citizen. Like you think that was not something that they said at the door? <laughs> hey, if you're going to sign here, you kind of have to be a U.S. 
oh, thanks for letting me know. The people would be like, I'm so sorry to break this to you. Like, I can't believe I'm the one to have to tell you. I'm like, yeah, I know. But occasionally I have met other people um, kind of like me who lived abroad and they, or they have a, a parent who is an American or something. So I was the standout from, from the group, which did not work in my favor because I'm already pretty loud. So that was, that was rough giving commands freshman year with a British accent. I got laughed at a lot. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine you with the British accent. I just, I just can't. <laughs> the worst of the commands. Yeah. Giving the commands. Cause it already sounds a little bit British sometimes when people do it. So <laughs> it's I, true. I that is very true. I've heard right? people it's, say like whenever, whenever they say specifically forward parts, like when they say yes, the like forward, all. I hear it and I'm like, Whoa. Or, or like oh, ordered what? arms. They say like order. Yeah. yeah <laughs> exactly. Like what's going on? Why are we switching? Yeah, it's like total it was it was chaos. Um and I didn't need any extra chaos in my life freshman year. So wow. <laughs> well thank you for that story. Funny. That was delightful <laughs> to say the least. Thank you, Captain Smith, for sharing your experiences and advice with all of us today. It was a pleasure speaking with you, and thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Sound Off Leadership Lessons with the Airmen of Troy. Our music today was mixed by Cadet Rohit Menon. You can check out the AOT on our YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, airmenoftroy.org. We hope you all enjoyed hearing from Captain Smith as much as we did. And remember, sound off and fight on!